And a very good morning here on 104.5 WQKT behind the scenes interview time and with us today talking agriculture from the OSU Extension office here in Wayne County is Rory Lewandowski. Rory is always uh, a very good morning. Happy to have you in here today. Well, good morning, Ron. Glad to be here. Well, the topic of today's program with Rory is going to be farmland rental and rental lease agreements. Uh, an obvious first question, Rory, as we delve right into it, is how is a farmland rental rate determined? You know, where does someone find this information if they're going into it for the first time and really don't know how to gauge that? Sure. Uh, well, Ron, this really is a timely question, especially as crop producers are looking ahead to the 2020 growing season. So uh, typically the most common question I receive on this topic is, what is the land rental rate here in Wayne County? Uh, so it's a simple question, uh, but does not have a simple or an easy answer. So unfortunately, when we talk about land rental, uh, that land rental market, it's not a commodity market where a price is posted and easily accessible, something like we can go and look up the price of corn or soybeans uh, in our livestock, you know, or even look at livestock market reports. We don't have anything like that with land rental. So most commonly, land rental values are based upon either word of mouth conversations uh, or surveys. And the reliability of a survey really depends upon the number of people that have been surveyed, uh, the bias of those who've been surveyed, and then the geographic distribution of those who've been surveyed. The bottom line here is there's not just one correct land rental rate. Uh, more accurately, there's a range of land rental rate figures and a number of factors then that should be considered when arriving at a specific rental rate figure. Okay, Rory, what value then are land rental survey figures, first off? And then secondly, what are the factors that go in in influencing land rental rates? Right. So uh, I've said you can't really use a, the land rental survey as a, as a single figure, but the value of those surveys is that they provide a starting point for a discussion on land rental rates between the landowner and the land renter. Uh, so they begin by at least putting you in the ballpark. And so the key here, though, really, is that arriving at a land rental rate should be a discussion. And so some of those major factors that influence where that land rental rate ends up, and that could be, again, either higher, lower, or at that survey value, uh, includes things like the demand and competition for a certain parcel of land, the crop yield potential of the land as determined by the fertility of the land, uh, the soil type, and the drainage of that particular parcel. Landowners should also consider uh, and want to look at, well, what are the land taxes and whether that rent that they're asking for are going to pay those taxes. The land renter, on the other hand, is going to look at projected crop prices and the cost of planting, growing, and harvesting a crop. Well, Rory, beyond the, the major factors that you just mentioned there that influence land rental rates, are there any other considerations that might go into determining a land rental rate? You know, maybe something smaller that, that, that a person might not necessarily think about? Sure. Yeah, that's another uh, good consideration, good question there. So given the size, you know, thinking about the size of some of the farm equipment out there today, the size and shape of the, the parcel actually can influence land rental rate. So, for example, uh, if we have uh, somebody who has a 50-acre square piece of land, that's probably going to wor be worth more in a land rental agreement than a, a three- to five-acre parcel or something that's going to be really irregularly shaped with a, you know, a lot of ins and outs and, and that won't be as easy to drive equipment around. Uh, other considerations include the potential for wildlife damage and, and lost yield. So, you know, uh, fields that have woodlands bordering them uh, tend to have more wildlife damage. 
in addition, we look at uh, what types of services might be provided by the land renter. For example, uh, are they expected to keep field edges and boundaries mowed? Uh, do they maintain the driveways and lanes that go into the field? And then finally, uh, don't overlook personalities. Uh, can the two parties get along? Do they enjoy talking with one another? Do they have respect for each other? Uh, do they have similar viewpoints regarding care of the land and, and cropping systems and things like that? Joining us again this morning talking about farmland rentals and rental lease agreements from the OSU Extension Office in Wayne County, Rory Levandusky. Rory, after a rental price is, is agreed upon, what's the next step? You know, in the farming community, you commonly hear the term handshake agreements. Right. Not necessarily anywhere else anymore, but still... Uh, is a verbal or handshake agreement adequate in this day and age, or is it to the point where you know a written agreement is is required? Yeah, Ron, that's a, another really good question. So often the phone calls that I get uh, asking about land rental price, they end up being a discussion about some misunderstanding between the landowner and the land renter. Uh, typically, a misunderstanding of what each thought they were agreeing to when the land was rented. Uh, just for example, I had a call. Uh, one landowner was surprised. Uh, the renter showed up to hunt on the land after the, the cropping season. Uh, the land renter thought that uh, he thought it was pretty clear that he rented the land year-round, and so that gave him the right to come on the, on the land to hunt. Uh, the owner didn't quite see it that way. Uh, I had another phone call. The land renter said that he'd already purchased seed and fertilizer based on his understanding that he had rented this uh, certain piece of land uh, fairly long term. Uh, then he gets a call from the landowner uh, finding out that uh, the landowner is now going to use somebody new uh, in the coming season. So these are all you know, misunderstandings that uh, weren't really clarified. Each had different expectations. So because of that, I do encourage all land rental agreements to be put into writing. Um, one of the purposes of those written agreements is to prevent disagreements and misunderstandings. Written agreements help to ensure that both parties are clear about expectations and that some of those common questions and issues have an already agreed upon answer or solution. And additionally, uh, if you do this correctly, those lease agreements can become a legally enforceable document. Well, obviously, this varies on a case-by-case -case basis, but... Uh I guess just in an umbrella sense, what kind of information should be included when you're talking about a farmland rental lease agreement? You know, what what are I guess the the some of the keys that need to be included in in any sure. one you're talking about? Yep, and there are some some good keys there. So Peggy Hall, who's our OSU Extension field specialist in agriculture and resource law, uh, has written several good fact sheets uh, on farmland rental agreements, and I'll draw from some of uh, Peggy's publications to answer this question. So first. To be legally enforceable, the lease has to identify the land by providing a legal description, the address and acreage amount of the land parcel, um, and then both parties, the landowner and the land renter, are required to sign the lease. That lease needs to include the proper legal names or business names of the parties involved in, in the leases, so uh, you know none of the nicknames or maybe common names that are used. Uh, lease agreements of more than three years also require all signatures to be acknowledged and certified by a notary public or a local official. In addition, an enforceable lease requires filing with the county recorder in the county where the land exists. Now, it's not necessary to divulge all the details of the lease. A short memorandum of lease that includes only the names and addresses of each party, a legal description of the land, the lease period, and the rights of renewal can be filed. Okay, so that covers some, at least, of the legal side of a farmland lease. But what about some of the other issues 
that can cause disagreements. What else should be included in a rental lease agreement, some of the smaller things, I guess. Right, and and some of those things that typically, right, end up maybe more commonly causing uh, misunderstandings. So Peggy Hall suggests uh, the following provisions to be covered in a lease agreement. Uh, obviously, the rental amount and payment. So when is that payment due? To whom is it due? And what happens if the payment is late? Uh, the lease should also include the duration, uh, the renewal and termination of the lease. So for what length of time does that lease agreement last? What's the process to renew the lease? Does it automatically roll over? Do you have to submit something in writing? What is that process? And then what are the options for either party to terminate the lease and what kind of notification period is required? Is participation in government farm programs allowed? That's a, you know, a really good question as we look at, at, at the Farm Bill uh, discussions that are ongoing right now. If so, which party receives those program payments? Is liability insurance required on the property? Again, whose responsibility is the insurance? What coverage amount is required? Soil health and water quality are obviously big issues uh, right now in the state. So what safeguards are in place to maintain or improve soil health and protect water quality? So is that written into the lease? Are there specific measurements or tests required at the beginning and ending of the lease period to assess soil health? Uh, are there any provisions for soil testing and maintaining at least minimum levels of soil pH and soil fertility? Are there maximum levels of soil phosphorus set? That's a, you know, a water quality issue again. Who is responsible for the fertility inputs? And then are there required or prohibitive practices regarding tillage, use of cover crops, etc.? So I've had that question before too. A landowner just assumed that uh, you know, the land wasn't going to be plowed. It would be a no-till situation. And then they're disappointed when somebody comes in and, and tills the land. So what types of, of systems? Livestock manure, another big issue. Are there requirements regarding application methods, timing, and the amount of manure that will be applied? And then, you know, some of those general maintenance things. What are the expectations for the property appearance? Uh, are they responsible for mowing lane access around buildings, if that's included in a lease, along the fence lines? Who's responsible for overhanging branches or for maintaining grass waterways? And then, uh, kind of what we alluded to earlier, is hunting or other non-farm uses allowed? Well, we've covered a lot of details today. Uh, if somebody has questions or would like a copy of the information by Peggy Hall that you mentioned, um, as far as lease agreements, how can they get a hold of you? What should they do? Sure. They can contact me at the Wayne County Extension Office, 330-264-8722. I can find them with website links, or I can provide them with a hard copy of some of this information. All right, Rory, thanks again for coming in as always. Appreciate it, Ron. Thank you. Once again, our guest in studio today, Rory Lewandowski from the OSU Extension Office talking uh, farmland rental and rental lease agreements. We'll step aside. Quick break. Back with more, including a look at your five-day forecast, up next.